I invite you to turn in the gospel according to John to chapter 10, that wonderful passage of the good shepherd revealed to us there. Verses 28 and 29, we hear the good news that none shall snatch us from Christ's hand or the Father's hand, but it's all in the context here. Uh, The shepherd who calls his sheep and who leads them out, we're looking at the perseverance of the saints again tonight by way of the canons of Dort. I'd like to read John 10, verses 1 through 30. I hope you have a copy of the scriptures before you. Begin at verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who sees, excuse me, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd." Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." 
Turn from the scripture reading, God's Word, to the church's confession. If you take out the Forms and Prayers book, we're reading on page 279, Article 6-7, and then on the next page, Article 8. Last Sunday, we considered the truth of Articles 4 and 5, that believers, even true believers, can fall into very serious and grievous sins. Examples were given in in Article 4 of David and Peter and other saints. And uh, we read in Article Article 5 about a time of of losing an awareness of God's grace till we turn back. And then Article 6, page 279, Article 6. For God, who is rich in mercy... According to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his own completely, even when they fall grievously. Neither does he let them fall down so far that they forfeit the grace of adoption and the state of justification, or commit the sin which leads to death, the sin against the Holy Spirit, and plunge themselves entirely forsaken by him into eternal ruin." Article 7, for in the first place, God preserves in those saints when they fall his imperishable seed from which they have been born again, lest it perish or be dislodged. Secondly, by his word and spirit, he certainly and effectively renews them to repentance so that they may have, so that they have a heartfelt and godly sorrow for the sins they have committed. Seek and obtain through faith and with a contrite heart Forgiveness in the blood of the mediator. Experience again the grace of a reconciled God. Through faith, adore his mercies. And from then on, more eagerly work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Finally, Article 8. So it is not by their own merits or strength, but by God's undeserved mercy, that they neither forfeit faith and grace totally, nor remain in their downfalls to the end and are lost. With respect to themselves, this not only easily could happen, but also undoubtedly would happen. But with respect to God, it cannot possibly happen, since his plan cannot be changed, his promise cannot fail, the calling according to his purpose cannot be revoked, The merit of Christ, as well as his interceding and preserving, cannot be nullified, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be invalidated nor wiped out. Let's bow before God and ask him to bless his word to us tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for your glorious word and for the comforts that you love to give to your people. We thank you for your preserving grace, and we pray that you would give us assurance of it tonight. Father, we thank you for the way you've led your church in the truth as well. Grateful, Lord, for the canons of Dort, for the grace that you imparted in the early 1600s to men to stand firm for the truth and even in this confession to capture so well in a summary form the wonders of what you do for your people. We pray, Lord, you'd visit us tonight, that we would know your truth and be instructed in it, that our confidence would grow, and therefore our joy in the Lord would increase. And Father, we pray in all of this and that our praise would stand stronger and rise higher and fill our lives more abundantly as we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, Congregation of Christ, can we really believe in the perseverance of the saints? Can we really believe tonight that every believer will undoubtedly make it to the end, to the shore of heaven? I want to think about that question for a few moments here. We might wonder if we can believe that when we hear all the warnings in Scripture about falling away. About falling away. Jesus even warned, right, that the branch that doesn't bear fruit would be cut off. And so we have these warnings in Scripture about falling away, about being cut off. And then we also, well, we observe that there are people who made the good profession who have departed. We've all seen in our lives some who confess Christ Jesus. Maybe they even became faithful church members and appear to be very joyful Christians and fruitful Christians. And then they apostatized. They became indifferent or hostile to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They made shipwreck of their faith. History is actually full of such incidents. What should we say to all this? Well, there are reminders tonight that we may not, in the teaching and preaching of the perseverance of the saints or in confessing it, that we shouldn't minister to a kind of laxity or carelessness in the Christian life. We, we shouldn't say to others or to ourselves, if they or we are walking in sin, well, you know, it's okay, I'm, I've been saved so I can't lose my salvation. Now, the Bible makes clear who it is that perseveres to the end. It's the saints of God. It's true believers. It's the disciples of Jesus. And who are those? Well, Christ makes clear that it's those who persevere. John 8, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He said in Matthew 10, 22, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Hebrews 3, verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We do not confess tonight that everyone who has ever professed faith or been accepted as a member of the church is thereby guaranteed to arrive in heaven. The Bible makes clear it's possible for a person to appear to believe and yet not truly to believe. And so we say that true believers persevere, and if they don't persevere, they were not a true believer. Jesus in the parable of the sower, you know, he shows us what we sometimes call temporary faith. It's not real faith, but temporary faith. Faith when the the seed that's scattered, some falls on the rocky soil and it sprouts up, but then it withers away over time. And there are those who do that. So... It won't do to minister a false security to people, to say once saved, always saved. It doesn't matter how you're living. We believe in the security of believers. It doesn't matter if you're living in sin. No, we believe in the perseverance of the saints, which as one writer puts it, it is not true that the believer is secure however much he may fall into sin and unfaithfulness. No, but it's that God keeps us in persevering. John Murray wrote, The doctrine of perseverance is the doctrine that believers persevere. It cannot be too strongly stressed that it is the perseverance of the saints. And that means that the saints, those united to Christ by the effectual call of the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, will persevere to the end. It is not at all that they will be saved irrespective of their perseverance, but that they will assuredly persevere. 
Consequently, the security that is theirs is inseparable from their perseverance. He's not saying that that our security rests on our ability to persevere, but he is saying that we believe that God causes believers to persevere. So if they're not going to persevere, then they're proving that they're not true believers. It's only when we keep all of this straight and therefore avoid a misuse of this teaching that we can find comfort. And great comfort we find tonight then when Jesus, talking about his sheep who hear his voice and follow him, then says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. No one. No devil, no false prophet, no sin within, no persecutor. No one will snatch them from me, the good shepherd. But I will deliver them all safely to the Father who gave them to me. That's a great confidence tonight. So we live in this vastly and quickly changing world. We wonder, where's the security in all of this? What's stable? What's steadfast? Well, here's the, here's the security. Here's the rock in the turbulent ocean. Here's the sunshine on a cloudy day. It's that, that we, in belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, may be glad our salvation is secure. There's no greater misery, is there, than to go through life always doubting, always wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? The believer comes to sing and praise God tonight, Because we know I'm in his hands and I can't be lost. Glory be to him. Let's look at this tonight. Christ who says that no one shall snatch us out of his hand, verse 28, and no one shall be able to snatch us out of his Father's hand, who is almighty. First of all, notice this hand of the Lord is beneath us. As we note in the previous articles, believers are still sinners. We have weakness and we stumble. And in the previous two articles that we could even stumble into the very grievous sins. But the comfort is that there's always a hand beneath us to uphold us, to catch us. We'll never fall down a bottomless pit to plunge ourselves into eternal ruin. We will never enter into a free fall in which the only thing that is beneath us is the pit of hell. Won't happen to the believer. God has set limits to our failings. God has set the boundaries of the ocean waters this far, no far farther, has, has set boundaries to our temptations and even to our stumblings. He never lets us, as we confess tonight, fall down so far as to forfeit the grace of adoption. We never lose our status as children of God. He never lets us fall so far as to lose our justification. We never lose our legal righteousness by which God has counted us acceptable in his eyes. We're always God's adopted children. We're always justified. God never lets us commit the sin unto eternal death. The sin of blaspheming the Spirit, the unforgivable sin. He never lets his people commit that sin. We have the sure promise that God keeps us, that his hand is beneath us, even when we stumble. Now, boys and girls maybe experience it, that their father or mother catches them when they stumble, little toddlers and so forth. And It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to think of the strong hand that catches me. Maybe I told you before the story of me as a big kid being caught. My dad and I had the joy of working on the same job one summer when I was in high school, both building barns. Maybe I told you the story. And 
were up on the, the roof, a metal roof, and it started raining, so we headed down before we started slipping, and my dad made it to the ladder, but then I fell, and I started sliding on the roof. I was just thinking about that 10 or 12-foot drop onto concrete that I was going to meet. But my dad got to the ladder, and he said, I got you, and he braced himself, held on the barn, and put his hand out and let me run right into his chest and his arm. And that was a wonderful obstacle in my life. Some obstacles in our life we like. That was a very favorable obstacle. But you see, that's the way it is with Christ, that he interposes himself. We, we would undoubtedly fall. We would undoubtedly slide away to the pit of hell. But he, he says, I've got you. He holds on to us. That's our Savior. What a relief. What a relief. He's always there. Now that obstacle may come in the form of a father or a mother or your elders or brother or sister or a verse you read or a sermon you hear. But it's always the Lord Jesus, isn't it, who says, no farther. Stopping you here. Stopping you here. I've got you. He's the good shepherd. He's actively engaged in saving his sheep. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, and Judas would be lost as he was destined to be. But Peter, Jesus said, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Satan desires to sift you, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you return, because you're going to return, because I'm your shepherd, the good shepherd, personally invested in us. The good shepherd, the Father gave us. The good shepherd who will keep us. So we rejoice that no sin, not the most grievous of sins, result in losing God's grace and mercy altogether. We may fall radically, but we will never fall fully and finally. And that's the great comfort, the hand beneath us. But the hand that's beneath us is not content to prop us up while we live in sin. Notice, secondly, tonight that the hand that is beneath us is the hand that leads us back. It leads us back. That's our second point tonight. And that's Article 7 of our confession. For in the first place, God preserves in those saints when they fall his imperishable seed from which they've been born again. Secondly, by his word and spirit, he certainly and effectively renews them to repentance so that they have a heartfelt and godly sorrow for the sins they've committed. Jesus invites us to picture him as the shepherd who goes out, leaving the 99 sheep safe in the fold to go after the one that's lost and to return it with great joy. That's the kind of shepherd he is. He brings sheep back. And we see that in his earthly ministry, right? He seeks out lost and he brings them back. And so he has no interest in a codependency in which he supports our habit of sinning. He doesn't exist to keep us safe while day after day we, we wander off and live apart from him. No, he works renewal in our hearts. He works repentance. He, we confess tonight he preserves that seed of regeneration, that principle of new life that his spirit gave to us is never destroyed. Now, our first principle of life, our human life, is corruptible. We, we were born corrupt, but the principle of the new life, born again, is incorruptible. That seed of new life is never corrupted, lost, or dislodged. Christ renews us to repentance by his word and spirit. It's not a mechanical process. It's not a, 
a car wash where the, the water that's used is, is recaptured and recycled and sprayed over the next car. No, it's, a, it's the personal interest of your Savior who knows you and who loves you and says, no, we're going home, we're going back, I'm showing you the way. And he does that by convicting us of sin, by his Spirit. And who but the Spirit could penetrate our hearts that are so stubborn? Who but the Spirit could open our blind eyes? Who but the Spirit could level our litany of excuses and bring us to say with Christ, yes, I am a sinner, I've done it. Jesus works that in us, doesn't he? He works repentance. He works godly sorrow, heartfelt and godly sorrow, we confess. Worldly sorrow, that's easy. A world is full of worldly sorrow, regrets and, and, and miseries and the shaking of the head. I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid of me. But godly sorrow, to say, God, I've offended you. I've sinned against the God I love. I am heartbroken over this. That is the grace of Jesus Christ. And this repentance is essential because, as we said at the beginning, we confess the perseverance of the saints. And the perseverance that the Lord leads us in is the perseverance of a penitent life, a life of repentance. Remember Martin Luther, that was one of his, his 95 theses, if I recall correctly. Penance is not something you do here or there in your life. Penitence is the whole life of the Christian. Every day finding new reasons to humble ourselves and to cry out for mercy and to learn more of who we are in our sin. Repentance is essential. Some have caricatured what we believe by suggesting that we think, you know, doesn't matter how you live, if you professed your faith one day, and then you live a life of sin, a whole life of doing your own thing, saying that we believe you're just going to get ushered into heaven on the last day. That's not what we believe, not at all. We believe that God so preserves us that he causes us to persevere in a life of repentance. And without that life, there is no salvation. He preserves us in faith and hope and love. Preserves us by his word and spirit working in us. He preserves us as he engages our own minds and hearts to see our sin and turn from it. Jesus told clearly these these Jews, you're not my sheep. You don't hear my word. You don't listen to me. You're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. They follow me. Article 7 goes on to say, not just that we repent, but that we seek and obtain. We seek and obtain through faith and with a contrite heart forgiveness in the blood of the mediator. It's not just that believers walk around all the time feeling so sad and sorry, but, but by faith they take hold of Jesus Christ and they know the joy of forgiveness They don't come back to God saying, I'm going to pay for everything I've broken. I'm going to atone for this. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to to pray more. I'm going to do more good works. I'm going to cry more tears and wash away all I've done. No, they, they come to Jesus Christ and they see him clearly and they say, Father, I accept what he's done for me and I find my life in him. And they 
experience again the grace of a reconciled God. And through faith, adore his mercies. Sent a great line in Article 7. That they experience again the grace of a reconciled God, and through faith they adore his mercies. Has your gratitude for the Lord increased over your Christian sojourn? Is your worship of the Lord more vibrant this evening? Is your adoration of the mercies of God in Jesus Christ more rich and full and wonderful to you tonight than it's ever been? As we learn to repent, to see our sin, and to take comfort in the righteousness of Christ and his mercies, we learn to adore those mercies. And faith gains a new freshness as it's aware again and even more so of the love of God for us in Christ and the blessings of being a child of God and having returned from our sin now and, and seeing, receiving these wonders of God, then we, we are led on to a deeper love for the Lord. He's a greater Savior than I even knew. What a God of mercy. This is the hand that leads us back. But then thirdly and finally tonight, this hand that's beneath us, this hand that leads us back, is the hand that will never be withdrawn. Article 8 says, So it is not by their own merits or strength, but by God's undeserved mercy that they neither forfeit faith and grace totally nor remain in their downfall to the end and lost, and are lost. With respect to themselves, this not only easily could happen, but undoubtedly would happen with respect to God cannot possibly happen. Left to ourselves, we would not recover from our stumblings and failures, but we would sink to hell and never return. So we confess tonight, it would undoubtedly happen. Not, not a maybe, not some of us would make a, if we were left to ourselves, some of us would make it, some of us would, no. With, left to ourselves, we would all, we would all, we would all sink to eternal destruction. But what, is, what would certainly happen with respect to us certainly cannot happen with respect to God. Why not? Well, because our salvation has very deep roots in God himself. With regard, regard to God, it cannot possibly happen since his plan cannot be changed, his promise cannot fail, the calling according to his purpose cannot be revoked. Remember that golden chain of salvation in Romans 8. That unbreakable chain, one link, link to the next link, and it runs from predestination, foreknowledge and predestination, all the way to our glorification. Remember that, Romans 8, we know that all things, all things, being worked together for good, for those who love God, called according to his purpose, because those God foreknew, he also predestined, he predetermined our eternal destiny to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. He sent his Holy Spirit to give us a new heart and he effectually draw us to himself. And those he called, he justified, giving us true faith to believe on Jesus. He declared us righteous, innocent, perfect in his eyes, acceptable to him. And those he justified, he also 
The apostle says it as if it's already a done deal. He glorified. So God's eternal plan can't be changed. It can't be canceled. It can't be annulled. What God purposed to do before the creation of the world, when he chose us in Christ, before he made this world, chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight, the plan can't be reversed. Known to God from all eternity are his works. God doesn't change his mind. God's predestining purpose can't be abandoned, can't be defeated. God's not making up things as he goes along. He's not, he's not basing it on our performance. He's not, he's not looking at us and saying, well, how are they doing? Should I keep them or not keep them? Our whole salvation is rooted in election. This is why we have to get that doctrine straight, right? Because every benefit that you and I enjoy flows from election. God's choice of us in Christ Jesus. And you see, God purposed to give us to Christ. And he gave us to Christ. And he gave Christ the assignment to keep us. And so Jesus says in John 6, verse 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. This is my assignment. This is my commission. The Father has entrusted souls to me. I have pledged myself to keep them and to raise them on the last day to glory. I will lose none of them. The calling that God gave us when he called us by the Spirit was not a calling to come walk with God for a few years, but it was a calling to eternal life. We were predestined to glory. So we have confidence tonight that, that on the last day, as, as we enjoy the great marriage supper of the Lamb, there's not going to be anyone missing who truly believed on the Lord Jesus, who was called by his Spirit. There won't be any empty seats at the supper table. They will all be there. Article 8 goes on to say this is also true because the merit of Christ, as well as his interceding and preserving, cannot be nullified. Christ died on the cross to purchase us for God. He redeemed us. He bought us. There's no putting that back. We are his forever. And he, as he pleaded for Peter, he intercedes for us. And then finally, Article 8 speaks of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It can't be invalidated or wiped out. Ephesians 1 says, Having believed, you are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Spirit put upon you to seal you for that final day of redemption cannot be taken back. What a glorious salvation. We have to feel sorry for those who are unable, unwilling to believe in a God of sovereign grace, to embrace election and predestination as the word teaches it, because those who won't do that then end up without being able to find assurance. If salvation, as the Arminians conceive of it, in the end finally comes down to man, that God does the same thing for every person 
And those who believe are those who themselves did something to distinguish themselves from others. Well, then salvation in some part rests on man. And then the question, will I make it to the end, is the question, will I do it? And that's a life of doubt. Imagine looking out at a stormy ocean, knowing you have to cross that, and being unsure. It all depends on me. It's a sad way to live. Come to these wonderful verses like this, and people obliterate the true meaning. I mean, what is this that I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I had someone tell me, well, no one can snatch you out, but you could jump out. Well, <laughs> that's really sad. After just reading about the Good Shepherd. I mean, that's the same thing as saying no one can snatch you out, but you could wander out of his hand. Well, no, he's not that kind of a shepherd. He doesn't let you wander out of his hand. He's not just a shepherd who says, I'm going to protect you from all the wolves out there, but from the wolf in your own heart, you're on your own. No. He's not a hireling who flees when he sees the wolf coming. He stands his ground to the point of laying down his life for us to defend our salvation. And so we can sing tonight, safe in the arms of sovereign love we ever shall remain. Nor shall the rage of earth or hell make thy sure counsel vain. Not one of all the chosen race, but shall to heaven attain. Here they will share abounding grace, and there with Jesus reign. What a treasure. The Christ who loves his church so much gives to us the strongest of assurance. He wants his people to know. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to be comforted. He wants us to know that we're his. And we will always and forever be his. Father, who is greater than all, has given them to Christ. Christ will never leave us, never disown us, never abandon us to ourselves or to our enemies, enemies within or enemies without. But he will hold us firm in his hand until that day we see his face. People of God, rejoice in the comfort that's yours and adore his mercies. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the sweetness of your gospel, for the wonders of your grace, for the love of the good shepherd who refuses to let us go. Continue your great work in us of drawing us from our sin, of preserving our faith, of growing us in godliness. Plant our steps, keep us from slipping, guard us from our enemies, make us alert and watchful, fill our hearts with joy and comfort to know that salvation does not depend upon us ultimately, but upon you. We give you praise and we do adore your sweet, your glorious, your powerful mercies through Jesus Christ. In his name, receive our thanksgiving. Amen.